Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. Okay, thank you, Vera, for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Noah. So you run Talk Therapy with Vera, and we're going to get into that quite a bit. You are an advocate for the Toronto Asian mental health community. Yeah. Uh, let's just take a step back. Tell us a little bit about your story. You mentioned you've experienced racism before, and I want to hear a little bit about that and how you've dealt with that. So um just going to go over some like my family background. My family and I, we moved from Hong Kong to Toronto in the 90s. Um, we've actually experienced firsthand racism, um, you know, due to lack of language barrier. There were no resources um, available, a lot of resources available at that time compared to like almost 20, 30 years now. And there was definitely a lot of discrimination, um, not just for me, but even my parents, where I've seen firsthand, they don't speak English. And my sister and, and we do speak English, but we also have to learn um, English as a second language. Um, when we moved here in Canada, it was quite tough because we were in elementary school and we were staying with my aunts in Richmond Hill, which is uh, a major population in the Asian community. And it's funny how there were other kids who are the same background as me, um, whether it's Chinese or Asian, they would still make fun of us because we don't speak English properly, of our accent, or um, or even the way of how you know we look um, and how we dressed. One thing I particularly remember in grade eight, um, where they have this, I guess, yearbook, like when we we're graduating and our teacher at that time drew drew everyone's like all the students faces like on the yearbook like as a cartoon but it was very directly where one of my friends actually pointed out she's also Asian that our eyes were really squinted like like this and I was just like at first I didn't realize what was wrong until someone pointed out because obviously I'm living in a different culture like different society and I was like oh like that's discrimination that's racist because um because based on our based on how we look and at that time because I was young I didn't know any better so I just sort of like swallowed it and just ignore it and I think there are times where you know even in high school I was being bullied and where I remember that you know what wouldn't it be nice if I would just um, be like the white kid so that everyone can like me, right? Because I was sort of also one and few belong and didn't realize that like I want to lose the identity. And even when I was younger, a lot of people would ask me about my Chinese name and um, which is also part of my identity and that I would be really embarrassed of telling people my Chinese name because I didn't want people to make fun of me or like, or even like, what does your name means? 
um, because I have no idea how to explain it back then I was younger. And to this day, sometimes I'm still a little bit embarrassed, I guess, because I don't know what other people is going to say about my knee, whether they're sort of whether they're going to come up with a judgment or some sort of like comments about, oh, like your name. Because I remember there when I was telling other kids my Chinese name, they actually made fun of me. And like, and, and it's like, and it, it, it was a hurtful feeling. And I, again, like, I didn't know what to do with it. So. You were made fun of a lot by people similar to you. Yeah. In background. What do you make of that? Why do you think that was? I also think back then, nobody really spoke up about like racism or discrimination, like compared to like now, nowadays, right? There's more advocacy where we able to say no and 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 open up. But I think also back then in our culture, in the Asian culture, because we moved into a new country and we don't want to stir any trouble, right? So then like, we need to keep our head, my parents were like, you need to keep your head down, don't stir any shit. Just, you know, just focus on your work and and so that don't, so other people, they won't bother you or they won't continue to like pick at you basically. So I think that's that notion that I've learned since growing up, um, even with my other clients that are very similar, have growing up experiences. They were just like, don't stir, don't stay out of trouble. Don't, because, don't stand you, out. Don't, 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 yeah. don't have a voice. Yeah. Don't have a, yes. don't have a strong definitive voice. Right. Right. And I think that if we if we stand out, if we have a voice, then I think that my parents would be interpreted or internalized. I'm like, well, it's your fault because you're the one who's now trying to speak up and stir more and more attention is on you. So people that were making fun of you, you know, across different ethnic diversity backgrounds, but the, the people in your own from from a similar background for you, were they second generation or did they did they grow up did their families move earlier and so they had a judgment towards you because you came later no i mean um well the, i think yes so the, the the students i mean the the kids who were making fun of me yeah they were second generation mm-hmm. and i think that there was that mentality that well you moved here so like i'm better than you right and my english is better than you so it's it's sad because because obviously that at that time, um, you know, parents never taught kids about racism or discrimination. They're growing up in more like the, it's more like ignorant, and it's an impacting about you know other kids, the interaction. It's really disappointing to hear the experiences that you had and that many people are going through and how did that shape the next stages that you that you took the the life decisions that you made the career path that you've taken that's a really good question i've decided to become a, a social worker psychotherapist because i realized that back then there was like lack of resources and i haven't really seen or noticed any any social worker psychotherapists in the asian community Maybe they they've already existed back then, but it wasn't it wasn't well um like well known like right now where there, there's more voices and more people know about more of the resources, and I've and I told myself well nobody have helped me when I was younger or I didn't know how to like advocate for myself, 
and I thought that, you know, I think it would be great for me to advocate on, like, to help other people who have had similar growing up experiences, so that, you know, they would feel more connected with me that we're on, we're on, we were on the same boat. And, 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 and so that they don't feel alone. And so you're, you're, you're trying to take a role that you felt was lacking or missing at the time that you were growing up. Right. Yeah. And how has that been? What's the impact? Like, what are some of the main, you've, you've touched on some of the, the biggest issues um, that are experienced. Can you, can you, can you tell us about the mental health impact of this kind of racism, this kind of bullying, ostracization, silencing, whether it's silencing by choice or by right. persuasion and not to blame the, you know, the parents and the, because it, you know, I'm sure that it was really hard for them. Maybe they didn't have support on how to support you. I agree. I agree. Right? As opposed to I just, agree. it wasn't like maybe they didn't know any better or any differently. So what are some of the main issues? What are some of the big themes that you're working on and how do you help people? So the main, so main things I've noticed is that there's um, like mental health, their mental health struggle would be like whether they feel they're depressed or having anxiety. I think those are the two main symptoms that I have seen. And there are other symptoms such as like lack of sleep and appetite. And I have also seen that my clients, some of my clients that I've been helping with, they're actually scared of going out, like in public setting, because they're thinking that it's going to happen to them again. So they're very um, like hypervigilant about their surrounding because they don't know what's going to come at them, despite that they have done absolutely nothing to provoke anything. And I think that's that's a lot of um then I would have to sort of work through their own anxiety and help them process it but one major thing that I have seen is there is the identity piece so as an example I can share one of my clients she's half eight like she's half Chinese and half white identify as white but she identified the way of how she looks she identified as white passing so then she gets a lot of privileges at work because of the way she looked. But then on the other hand, then she has trouble, you know, navigating her own identity, like, you know, from her, from the Asian community, whether with her friends and family, even with herself, well, whether she's Asian enough, like, am I that, you know, Asian enough, but then like, there's no way because then times that sometimes that she told me before that she wants to lose part of that Asian identity because she get she gets a lot of privileges by just being by being white like by looking like by being white but then you can't really separate that and separate that identity of the like of Chinese because that's still part of you so I would actually have to sort of help I would have to help her to process that that piece of identity where I continue to like dig through and get her get her to get her, get her to get herself to be more in touch of what Asian means to her, or what what does what does it mean to being a Chinese? I imagine that a lot of people experience this ostracization and start to hate that part of their identity. They start to associate that identity with not being accepted, and maybe it forces them like on a deep level, like self hatred. That's kind of scary because it it's is. a part of you right yeah yeah there's like there it's a lot of shame 
of being Asian in, in for some for some of my clients, then I have to sort of then I would have to help them to navigate that shame and where is it really coming from? So how do you help in these situations? I mean, I can imagine a number of things. First of all, I, I would come to mind is because I I we're all from very specific backgrounds, um, sure. specific either faith backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. I mean, uh, we can talk about my my experience with diversity as as an Orthodox visible Jew, uh, but there there's there's sort of a human experience. So even though I am not Asian, I the the experience of ostracization or the experience there's a human experience of not feeling like you fit in of of feeling that a part of your appearance is not acceptable and there's nothing you can do to get rid of that right yeah. you were made fun of for the way that your eyes were appearing or the way that you were speaking you can't unless you hide from the world you that's you have to show up and live and so there is a sort of human cross human dimension that we all share uh, in our humanity, in our unique ways mm -hmm. that, you know, I would think about, okay, how do, how do we, how do we help these people a find their voice? So like have a voice within this, be able to, some people might have a difficulty standing up for themselves. Um, and what, what that would mean, how that would conflict with their identity. How do you help people find their voice? Even if whatever that looks like for them is going to be unique. Like, how do you help people do that? I think one thing it's first, first before finding your own voice is to accept who you are as a person, like acknowledge that like I'm, I'm like I'm, I have like Chinese in me or like I am Asian. I think that's a very important piece because then without that acceptance piece, you can really move forward. And, How do you and, accept and, it? How do you do that? How do you, you can say it, right? they know that that's what they are. So what does acceptance mean in that situation? How do you, how do you deal with that? So it's not just telling yourself to accept it, but actually sit, sit with the upset, like sit with the acceptance that I am Chinese. Yes, it's uncomfortable to acknowledge that piece, but I think it's to not internalize that there's something wrong with you, right? And I think that whatever feelings that comes up, you know, of like, feeling frustrated sad whatever feelings is to also not to internalize the feeling because you are identified you are um, like you're asian chinese etc like i think that's a that's a fact mm -hmm. and for you to continue to internalize it's not really helping you to it will not be able to help you to move forward where you might be continue to be getting stuck of like being like having resentment towards yourself, having shame towards yourself. Is it also partly by helping point out that it's not really about them? It's not about them. It's about the other person. It's about their fear of the unknown, their inability to, to deal with diversity, to understand different ways of living, different ways of speaking, different ways of looking. Do you think it helps for people to take perspective and not take it personally as personal as it feels like, you know, we, we are individuals, but we have the way we look, dress, speak, mm -hmm. um, are mm -hmm. sort of archetypes or representations right. of a person. Right. And so it's not really about us. Like if I'm walking on the street and someone makes comment to me about being Jewish, 
mm-hmm. I know that it's not about me. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's more of like this, it's acceptance that I am a Jew. I'm a very right. proud Jew, but sure. it's also, is there a way that I can accept also that it's not, that there's something bigger going on that transcends me that I can't control? Yes. Yes. I agreed with that because I think that we want to be in control. And that's why we're starting to internal that we're the problem. But instead, if we're able to sort of reflect on that, maybe the other person have lack of education it's, as an example, or like they don't know anything about any sort of historic background of like, where does Jew, where is like our different ethnicity, I think that's also a very important piece. Yeah. And also like, I, I even take a scale back and it, this isn't to excuse racist behavior. For sure. Historically, as far as I understand, we've grew up in small groups and it's very easy when everything we know is familiar and identifiable and predictable. And so when somebody, if you were living in a community and you never saw anybody that didn't look similar to you or that was familiar to you, and then all of a sudden somebody came that was different, the brain on a primal level is detecting threat, is detecting, oh, difference, that's dangerous. Oh, what Mm -hmm. do they have? Are they carrying diseases? We don't know what they're like. Like, There's a way to look at this stuff and say, these are like adaptive processes that have been completely skewed and misinterpreted because human beings are in a, in a way tribal and right, right, protective right. of themselves and their identity and want to keep safe. And while that can be really healthy, we live in a society where we're dealing with newness and different types of people and different backgrounds, different practices and different ways of looking and representing in the world. But our brains on a primal level can't catch up Mm-hmm. And not detect the threat. So sometimes I, I internalize and say, this is deeper human patterns playing themselves out that it's inexcusable, but I understand why people do this. It's protecting themselves. There's a protection as let me blame the other. Let me put something on them in order to protect me. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that that's also a part of it sometimes? Maybe. Maybe, but I also think that there's that lack of education piece. I think that's a really big thing. As far as I remember in the education system, when I when I was growing up, you know, like here back in the 90s, I don't remember learning any history about like the um, the Chinese building the Canada, like the railway until like back, uh, like the Chinese have tax. I don't remember any of that until I actually started um, my undergrad in social work at, at, at uh, TMU. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's when I learned all about, you know, different history about Canada. And I don't even remember anything about, you know, the, the, the indigenous community until, again, I learned it from in my, in my, in my undergrad program. Because all I remember in history, they weren't, it, was, it wasn't taught any of that at all so there is a lack of there's a gap in the education that you feel if people were more aware of it would create less so maybe there's there's a there's the stories about individual groups that are not mentioned um but then also the story about treat being human and treating people properly 
was there everything anything like that going on did teachers ever kind of step in or stand up or were there ever education just about bullying and xenophobia and all that kind of stuff i'm just trying because it's been it's been so long ago yeah i'm just trying to remember i don't think that was ever taught maybe teacher will step in for bullying but i don't think that like using the word of like xenophobia or like racism and discrimination were ever were ever were ever like taught in the school system back then yeah so what are some of the things that you, so of course you're helping people on an individual level try to find their voice, develop more of an acceptance to those parts of their identity, work through the anxiety and the depression and hopefully come out healthier. Um, what are some of the, 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 the ways that people working with you and dealing with these things, what have you seen in terms of changes for the better for people that come to see you and do this kind of work? Well, first thing that when they tell me like specific incident that have happened to them in public spaces, I ask them, have you reported, not to the police, but like reported to like specific website for like for the COVID-19? Because I think there's been a surge since two years ago when COVID-19, everything have gone, have gone, like a lot of cases have been gone up. And I think there's some people they might not even know that they can actually report it, um, these incidents. Um, and because when we're reporting these incidents to the reporting to the reporting center, the website, it also shows statistic that it's still a continuous, it's still happening. Just because now it's not as talking so much in the media, that doesn't mean it's not it happened happened like it's it stopped, right? Um, I think that's also very important. But I think one thing for me is to you know help them you know not only talking about the incident, what really happened, um, you know, it, uh, like their own process of like during and after, but also how to um, work through it that into not blaming themselves because they think that they did, they did something wrong that really provoked the incident, but in fact that they didn't do anything wrong. I think that's the important piece. And hopefully to, to, stand strong and to continue to engage in the world using using their voice uh, and their identity of course of course i think a lot of a lot of my clients when something happened like when a situation happened our automatic response is freeze because we don't know what to do right and or we don't even know we don't even want to um engage because then i think that one thing is that they're nervous is like when they if they engage it's going to create a bigger problem. I think that's also, I think that's also very important is to, is to not, if they're nervous, I think it's just, I think it's just, you know what, if whatever that comes to mind that you don't, if you don't want to speak up, you don't want to engage. And I think that's okay. But I think it's after the incident is to, I would have to help them process like what really happened. I think that's the important piece. I think also one thing I've been encouraging, um, my clients, um, you know, like I've been sharing these resources through um, this organization called Right to Be. They have bystander intervention and training online that is free and is for anyone across the world that, you know, that can attend. I've even attended um, just to 
just to see what kind of skills or techniques that can help me if something if some is a situation have you know happened to me or like if I see someone if I see some sort of um you know incident happen to other people at least I can help advocate you know for that for the other person for sure and and you're running a number of different opportunities you have your your you have your mental health practice you have a program called accepting who we are um, yeah. can you tell us about that because that's exactly what we've been talking about so this is um so this this program is for adult children in the asian in the asian community who are actually dealing with parents who are critical demanding and uh and a lot of them what happened is that they don't know now because they can they become an adult now so a lot of them they don't know how to navigate the emotions or navigate the relationship with their parents mm. and i felt like that's this is a very important group um that i i've decided to open up only for adult children in the asian community for now uh because 90 percent of my clients are asian and they all experience some sort of you know conflicts or they don't know how to navigate a relationship with their parents when um you know they when they grew up from their parents who were being critical and even i've experienced that in my own mental health journey where i've openly shared it with all my clients on my on my blog and they felt more connected with me when i'm when i've experienced the same similar situation as them and i thought that this group would be uh, would be helpful um in for the asian community because then not to help them identify who they are, but also recognize there's a lot of unresolved feelings and probably intergenerational trauma that they have dealt with when they were growing up. And so a lot of this is a generational relationship uh, is issues that are going on. What are some of the main, you, you've touched on a few of them, but can you spell out for us some of the main issues that you notice between parents and their and their children in the Asian community in in be moving into this part of the world what are what are what's the tension what's what's the experience like and and how do you work through that and so because in the asian community there's still that age there's still that mental health stigma where the older generation don't believe any sort of like mental health or like even even talking about talking to a therapist that mean that like oh i don't need any help like i'm good like you know like you need help that's fine. But then they also question, like, well, question the kids. And like, when the kid tell them, like, I'm seeing a therapist, they would have, they'll question, like, why are you seeing a therapist? Like, what happened? Like, what made you that you need help? Is there something wrong with you? Because then they always think that there's something wrong with the kids, but they don't realize that it's also how, what they have done that have impacted their kids to seek support. And what have I they done? What What are some of the difficulties? Is it, amount you, you mentioned about, like, can you tell me? Yeah, tell me about. Yeah, so so growing like growing up in 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 an Asian household, there's that constant comparison, meaning that my my mom would con compare me to like my where does my sibling or or like other friends like you know well they're doing good like on this subject why can't you do this etc. There's a lot of comparison, and there's also being there's also that critical like oh you're you're never oh what what happened to the A. Like you're only getting a B in your report. What happened to that? The rest of the twenty percent, etc. I think that also made us growing up into 
feeling or thinking that we're not good enough, that carries on with us, that is really impacting our uh, us as an adult, that like that low self-esteem, where which I will be, you know, even talking about that in in our in our um in the group session is to I to navigate that piece. I think that's a very important, important subject. That's so challenging because you're mentioning on the one hand, you're getting the message, don't stand out. Don't don't make too too much of a of a, of noise and put everything because things because you might be bullied, you might not be treated well, et cetera. So your identity there is not positive. And so you're channeling all your energy into success in school because that's the one thing you can kind of control. And you're getting the message that you have to succeed because that's how you're going to make it. So it right. must be like really almost alienating or lonely uh, in that sense. It is. It is. And it's also sad, right? I think it's just like a lot of my clients, you know, come to me because they don't know. They never really grieve about what have happened to them as a kid. And now they're now they have a lot of like self-esteem like self-esteem self self-image issue because it's even even in growing up with uh, in the asian culture asian household there's also that there's additional part there's also that body shaming mm. when when i'm like oh why you're why do you look like that or why do you look so fat I'm like as an example like in this in the stress etc right i think that's also impacting my clients of you know the way of how they look and how they wanted to present to the role. And you can't ask, and asking for help is also, comp it's hard. Asking for help is is that revelation of weakness um, in right. some ways. So it's just it's just a really hard cycle. It's It sounds like it's a very vicious cycle in some way. And it's not to say that, that there's an, a malice to it or something that just, it kind of is what it is. And it might not be working for this generation. Just to take the other side for a second, out of all the, this kind of um, way of socializing and bringing up children in the Asian community, what are some of the positives? Um, what are some of the positive areas of it? Are there are there positives in terms of um, growing up in, in that sense? Are there any other values that are really good that make it hard to just say it's all bad? Like, can you think of anything on the other side of that? I think one thing I recognize that some of my clients will tell me that well, the reason they're able to they were able to reflect on the reason why my parents are the way of how they were. It's because that they they want to make sure that you know um, we we would will be doing well as an adult, right? They, There's they, a deep you know, care. Yeah, there and is. Love there and, is. And, yeah, and pushing to be the best. Yes, yes. It's funny because. You know, growing up in the Asian culture, including my parents and myself, there's no that there's the. I mean, our parents would never validate us, so we're always constantly looking for that validation, like the words, right? But unfortunately, that's not part of their love language. I think what we have seen as now growing up, their part of love language is cooking for us, like food. Food is very important, like feeding us. That's the and way of how they community, show up. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how they're showing, like how they're showing us love is to, you know, cook for us or like getting us grocery and like, or like buying us things, you know, to that's how they show. But in fact, I think what 
really we need it's that validation we want words that like telling us like oh you know I'm so proud of you in this and this but I don't think they can I don't think they can ever say it but it's funny because they can say it to us but when they are when our parents will talk to their the you know like their friends or like their own sibling they would they would show us off oh like my daughter like it's like it's doing this or like my daughter is doing that etc but then sometimes we question like, why can't they just tell us that they're proud of us but I just don't think they can period and, you know, what might have worked in one generation might not work anymore. Maybe, maybe there was parts of it that, you know, that persistence, right? Per, like, think about the, just the, on the positive end, persistence, you know, making the best, um, doing good deeds, to, like cooking and, mm, and caring. Mm. And, you know, and it's and it's almost like if there was another dimension to it, like, let's say they were like still kind of pushy, you know, still kind of like, you know, one track mind, but they also said things like, I'm proud of you. I love you. This doesn't define you. There's more mm-hmm. to you. It's not that they need to totally change who, what they've, how they've grown up to parent. And, and, and it's just that there needs to be sort of a new layer of dimension added. So you're, you're talking, so let's like this, you're talking with the students, right? Oh, the okay, younger okay. people. Okay. Got and, it. and, and got there's it. obviously a limit to what they right. can do. That's um, true. Maybe there's ways that we can train and coach them to communicate with their parents. With their, par- with their parents. What would you want to okay. say to the parents directly, if you could say anything, that, right. would, that maybe they'd be able to hear and improve? Yeah. What would you want to say? I think it's open to have that open dialogue, right? Open communication with their, with their kids about showing them, showing how much they appreciate or like showing how much love, you know, that they care. Because sometimes I understand that their parents want to show action. That's part of their love language versus using the words. But sometimes that I think the younger generation, we need the words. We need, we, we sometimes we cannot, like we, 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 we thrive from the words. That's what I think that's what we, that's what we thrive from. And, and I don't think, I don't think they recognize that piece because what happened is sometimes their action, they may not, the parents may not be able to, reflect how their action is impacting their kids right yeah so it would it would seem that it and i hope there are initiatives that are working towards the intergenerational communication um and an acceptance and acknowledgement of the gaps and the need for different love languages to be appreciated um it sounds like that's a lot of really hard that's a really challenging task but it's for sure. But is there any hope? Have you noticed any hope? Have you seen any changes like soon to be this generation, our generation will be having new families? Um, yes. Yes. Tell me a little yes. bit about some of the hope that you've noticed and that you've seen. I mean, the fact that you are a therapist doing this and that we're having this conversation seems to yeah. do that. But tell me a little bit about that. So so my my so my clients are, you know, are around the same age as us like though like the millennials so they also have kids so and they reckon they want to change the pattern uh, they don't want to be repeating the same pattern as how they were treated as kid so they made an effort into become more um aware of like you know what you know what, what they do what they say to the kids i think that's very important piece and I think there's at the same time, sometimes that when we're growing up, 
back then as a kid, we were never taught on how to navigate that emotion. So then we tend to be very reactive. And, and sometimes they, they have done that. They got really reactive and, and in front of the kids and their kids were like, they don't know what to do and they get really scared, right? And they don't know how to help, they don't know how to help their, their parents. And, and as, as, a, as a therapist for, for my clients who are parents, I have to sort of, I also have to recognize them like, it's also seems like there's a, there's a very big emotion inside of you and you don't know what to do with it. So let's just talk about it. Let's process it together in the session so that you don't react in front of your kids. I think that's also a very important piece. So there are changes happening and hopefully even conversations to, to be had with the older generations and hopefully a bridge amongst all the generations. And that, that, that could be one area of help. So if you, what are some of the things, what are the, the a few of the most important words that you would want to communicate to people that are not getting help from you and that are maybe not at the stage of even acknowledging, fully being able to acknowledge the hurt that they're feeling with this, whether they're in high school or younger or, or a little bit older, what do you want to say to them at this stage if they're listening to this? I think one thing is that when you start, you know, when you start noticing any sort of symptoms of like sadness, hopeless, hopelessness, worthlessness, and helplessness, or even low mood, that would be a, a chance to 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 figure out maybe this is the time for me to reach out. And usually, you know, I understand there might be there might be some sort of there might be some sort of internal shame within yourself that I shouldn't be reaching out. But at the same time, there's many therapists out here that want to support you and help you navigate your own emotions and whatever the issue that's been bothering you. And I think that's, and it's okay to reach help. And I think the big, like I said, the big step is to really just to acknowledge that it's okay to reach out for support. And there's nothing, and there is nothing wrong with you because Nowadays, in many, many actors and I mean, many actors, actors and actresses have openly shared about their own mental health struggle. If you're if you're if you just Google, if you just Google Hollywood actors, actresses with, with mental health, many of them are sharing, are sharing openly about what they're going, what's going on with them. And many of them are actually reaching out for support. So that first line is just to be able to talk about it a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that there's from there, hopefully more conversations amongst peers too. talking to your own peers about what's going mm -hmm. on, feeling that there's mm -hmm. peer support, um, yeah. for that. I don't know. That's also a very important area. Um, just to kind of conclude this conversation, I just, what, what's coming to mind for me is in, in the Jewish tradition, there is a major emphasis, of course, on, on love of God love of, of neighbor, love of family, love of community, love of the broader world. But there's also more than any other command to love the stranger, uh, love the person that is different than you. This is mirrored in the his history of being strangers in the land of Egypt, the Jewish people being strangers in the land of Egypt, being othered, being different. And um, instead of internalizing that when people see the stranger differently or wrong or bad, and then saying, I'm bad, I'm wrong. We are 
really commanded to look at people that are different than us and to try and find the humanity. If there is a natural propensity, they think, on a on a sober human level, to 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 see other as a threat, mm-hmm. um, and it's not it's hard to control that on a primal mm-hmm. level, but we don't need to react to that. We can acknowledge our biases and acknowledge our inconsistencies and acknowledge the times when we have a part of us that is not fully, you know, accepting of others. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's not even, I mean, it's not even across, this can come across people in the same group. Somebody who dresses a certain way, you have un, uh, subconscious thoughts about that person or something that somebody said we're always judging. We always have judgments and we always have thoughts about people that are different than us. And I think it takes work to right. learn to love difference. And um, I really hope that people stop internalizing the, the these really rude and wrong and uh, ignorant and uneducated assumptions about other people and to start to make make a different relationship with that, I don't know. It sounds like there's probably educational stuff that needs to come into the system, as well as an understanding of the human propensity towards discrimination against others that are different. Not sure, but really appreciative that you're on the front lines with the student community, with the Asian student community uh, in helping. Any any last words that you want to mention? I think one last thing is just to, you know, just be you. And not not wanting, not feeling that you're embarrassed of who you are. I think that's important. Absolutely, learn to to be you. To to, yeah, really love yourself. Uh, th- that takes a lot of work to be able mm-hmm. to do. But but, there's a lot of great resources out there, uh, including Vera. Um, now. I hope you'll forgive me for asking you this because this is when I want how I want to end the conversation. Can you tell me about your Chinese name? Because I am very interested in names. I always ask people their names, whether it's their Jewish name, their their name from wherever they come mm. from, because I find it really interesting and re- revealing about the uniqueness of the culture. So my Chinese name is Waiyan, Waiyan um, English, but Waiyan in like how you say it. So hmm, each word has a meaning. So why it means wisdom, like it comes like because it's it's funny how like there's different words like different syllables have different meanings in in Chinese in Chinese words um and yan um meaning like um appreciation so like I guess my child well not I guess my well my dad made up a Chinese name so it's like you know wisdom wisdom but also appreciation. Or appreciation of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> appreciation of the wisdom, potentially of your culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. but but that's a very interesting and meaningful name. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so appreciate your time. We will have all the relevant links to connect with Vera. We think that this is really, really important for people to start to ask for help and to speak up about this very important issue. Thank you so much. Thanks, Noah, for having me today. And of course, a disclaimer. 
This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve2v's.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two Vs, .ca, to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street.